0: every star athlete on the front page of Sports Illustrated or that's hoisted up the Lombardi or Stanley or Commissioner's Trophy, there's hundreds if not thousands that now sit unhappy, lonely, empty. And for every uh, celebrity on the cover of GQ, Vanity Fair, People, or Rolling... I don't even know if those are popular magazines anymore. Uh, Probably not. Um, For every one of them who get a hold of Golden Globe or an Emmy or an Oscar or music award, there are hundreds that are now unrecognizable who sought so hard to get what is now a dust collector in their trophy case. And they have their moment of glamour, their moment of when they're known, a moment when their name is on the front page and then it's over. And many now have been left with feeling, the feeling of lonely and unhappy, unhappy and empty and, and, and a meaninglessness. And from the little bit of investigating I had, I wish their voices would be as prominent as they were when they were in the limelight. Right, I wish their voices would be heard. And and I don't think, uh, I, I haven't read anything of a star or a famous person who said, man, I wish I would have worked so much harder so I could be more famous. Or I wish I would would have worked so much harder so I could amass more money when it comes to that sort of profession. And I don't know where you're at in life this morning. Maybe there is something that has happened, a life situation or an incident that has happened in the past that either before had has brought you out of what is maybe meaningless or despair or, you know a sense of depression or something has happened that has caused you to go down that road where you maybe feel like whatever's in front of you is not of value or whatever is behind you wasn't of value. And for us, church, well, it, it, it may be, maybe it's just me. I mean, I could throw myself into this, maybe you too, but I feel like I've spent plenty of time chasing things. Chasing things in my life. Maybe my health, the next greatest technology advance, happiness in a stage of life or uh, the chasing or an action or the chasing of a title or an idea, the chasing of a felt need or desire that I might have. And it becomes the focus. It becomes the desired reality that I Spend all I can to obtain, and then it becomes the all-consuming environment to which I live in, to which I found, find my meaning and purpose. And so, this morning, as we continue this series, chasing the wind, I ask you: What are you chasing? What is it that you are chasing? And whatever that you're, whatever stage of life that you're in right now, my hope is that. Over the wide gamut of, you know, of meaningful and meaningless, as we looked at last week, you will find a spot where you are maybe in, encouraged or challenged or grown in this morning. Because there's so many things we chase, right? Maybe it is a number attached to a bank account or the perfect property uh, in an ever-changing uh, environment of, of 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 realty. Do you find yourself chasing the life that you wish you had, only to be barely be able to manage the life that you are currently living in? Only be able to manage it by. Co- a coping mechanism, or uh, surrounding yourself with what helps you either forget the current reality that you're in or lift you far out of the current reality that you are in. Are you living the dream? Living the dream. How you doing? I'm living the dream. Right, are you living the dream or are you searching for more? In both cases, my hope is today you will find some of what will bring you to that next stage. This week, we get to sit down with Solomon again, right? We get to interact with him. Last week was chapter one of Ecclesiastes, and we, and we really focused and looked at the idea of who Solomon was and the idea of Ecclesiastes being that it's almost like we get to sit down and share a cup of coffee with him. We get to sit down, uh, maybe in our living room, like I said, or maybe on a long road trip, we get to sit down with him and hear from this iconic larger-than-life figure who wrote the Book of Ecclesiastes. If you remember, he's richer than anyone you know or ha- anyone you know of or have known, right? More famous than any celebrity crush you might have, or uh blockbuster movie star of the current time. More wives than close friends that you have ever had in your entire life. It is true, it is true, recorded in Kings. Right, We get to hear from and have a conversation with one of the wisest people to ever walk the earth. And at the end of his life, towards the end of his life, he shares with us, and every generation before us, and every generation that is to come, he shares his takeaways, his lessons learned. These are the lessons that I've learned. Learn from me. His take on some of the most applicable things we can apply to us today. Like I said last week, this is probably the most applicable, the most uh, up to date book for what we're facing right now in our generation, in our time, as well as equally for them at that time as well. All the stuff that we run towards and the generations before us continue to chase is addressed in this book of Ecclesiastes. And at the end of his life, he says, and we looked at it last week, he says, it's all meaningless. Everything is meaningless, utterly meaningless. With that pessimism that he he displays or that he voices, it's like the chasing of the wind. You can't grab hold of it. Remember the image of chasing the bubbles you blow on the deck that I shared last week? You can't grab hold of them. And as soon as you get close enough, it's gone. It's a a vapor is the translation. Hevel, we looked at last week. And we established in chapter one that for Solomon, this was late in life, right? Sounded like, uh, so uh, the grumpy old man who's experienced in life now wants to offer up all of the regrets that he's had. Right? Recalling his younger years, that song of songs. You can read that one too. That one's pretty entertaining right? The youthful Solomon, and then you have Proverbs, some wise wise words and Proverbs, funny, almost even like one-liner jokes in there. That's middle-aged Solomon. And then we have Ecclesiastes, where I picture him rocking on his front porch, sitting in the neighborhood that he grew up in, looking back at his life and going, I remember, I remember when. I remember when I was dealing with this stuff, and, and I want to pass it on to you this morning. So I'm going to read from Ecclesiastes chapter 2 for a little bit here uh, as we look at him just sharing with us. He says, I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. So this is this like, inner dialogue, this conversation he's having with himself. Come now, I will, test, I will test you with pleasure and find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolishness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine, embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do underneath, under heaven during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs and water groves for flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds of flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed more silver and gold, for myself and the treasure of the kings and provinces, I acquired men and women singers and a, and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. And all this, my wisdom stayed with me. Meaningless, he said, all of that is meaningless. And I get that this is the inner dialogue he's having. He's sharing with us. These are all the things that I chased. If you missed it, I created a list for you of the things that he just mentions that he's chased as well as there's probably many others. But Solomon, this is what Solomon tried. This is what Solomon chased. Laughter, fun, wine, property, nature, importance, wealth, music, sex, accomplishment, it's a list of things that he just mentioned in those like seven verses of the things that he tried and chased in his life. And Solomon would say to us that this is all meaningless. So this chapter, chapter two, and if you missed it last week, we, uh, we introduced this pro-apt guide. So this is something that, uh, if you missed, all the Christ the King networks are A couple of the churches are starting Ecclesiastes next week, and we started this week. Bellingham started a few weeks ago. But we're all going to be studying the same material, and it's going to be like thousands of people in Whatcom County are hopefully going to find meaning through the same and similar words of sharing. But this is a pro-app guide that we have all adapted as part of what we're doing through Ecclesiastes. And I want to I encourage you to take one of these home. There's a stack here on the stage. There's a stack by our welcome booth uh, kiosk in the back. And then there's a stack on your left, just on your outside, on your way out the door. And, and I'm not going to go through and, and explain it all again. Um, but there's a, this is just a basic way to walk through uh, the chapters we're gonna be looking at. And the hope is, and what I've already found out is many of you, many of you have taken my challenge to heart. Many of these went home last week, but what we want for you to do is to just walk through the chapter we're gonna do the next week. So many of you have come to me and said, oh, I can't wait for uh, chapter two and what we're gonna share. What are you gonna share about drinking wine? What are you gonna share about, you know, all this stuff that's in there? Uh, and I'm like, yes, it's, I tricked you into it. I got you to read ahead. And so take one of these home. Do chapter three this week. Next week, we're going to be in chapter three, um, but this is just a great practical guide for you guys to take home uh, and, and use in your own time. So this chapter, specifically as I walk through this pro guide, I got three main sections that came to me of what God kind of pulled out and, and brought to my attention that I want to share, and I literally walked through it just like many of you did to come up with my content uh, this week. So the first one is, uh, and I've kind of uh, voiced them as statements that I feel Solomon is, uh, would be in agreement with. The first one is a foolish statement, and that is, pleasure leads to meaning. So the theme of this book is meaningless and meaningful. And uh, the foolish statement that we can all often make is that pleasure leads to meaning. That the things that we find pleasurable in our lives, we attest to the meaning and purpose of why we live. Which I, which I would say that Solomon would say all those things uh, are actually meaningless. Because here's the deal: I read over this list that Solomon shared, that he shared this list of things that he 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 chased after that were meaningless. And I read it over quite a few times because I was like, man, I'm a horrible person if <laughs> if I do the, like I do all of those things. And that's the thing, though: I read over that list over and over, and I thought, man. That's not a horrendous list. Like, there's nothing on that list that God did not create for his goodness. There's nothing on there that we're like, oh, we got to stay away from that, right? Laughter, fun, wine, property, nature, importance, wealth, music, sex, accomplishment. I mean, all those things are good things if done in the right way, if done in the right order, Solomon shares that he put those things first, and we'll get into that here in a second. But that list, I wouldn't look at it and be like, if you do those things, you are a sinner. You're a sinner no matter what. Sorry to spoil that for you. But what is in that list are things that, you know, honestly, that I think God has created for our goodness and for him to be known as, as good in, in the creator of it all. So this is what I know to be true about pleasure, though. Pleasure oftentimes uh, can... Take over in our lives and become the focus of our lives. Does that make sense a little bit? So we seek pleasure for enjoyment. We seek pleasure for really kind of personal enjoyment. How many of you want to enjoy life? Go ahead raise your hand. Right? Pretty much everybody wants to enjoy life. If, you, if you're here and you're not enjoying life, Ecclesiastes is actually kind of a depressing book, but I think you can find. <laughs> I think you can find enjoyment in the book as well, but we want to enjoy life, right? All of us do, and hopefully, uh, the hang-up with pleasure and seeking is that we really rely on the actual pleasure in order for us to find our enjoyment in life, so it becomes the focus and the need that we have in order to enjoy our lives, that pleasure does, Right, The next enjoyment, and then the next enjoyment, and then the next enjoyment, and then the next enjoyment. And then what often happens is we find ourselves down the road, and what used to bring us pleasure no longer brings us pleasure because we need more than the the, 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 the thing that we are mixed up in to find our pleasure and enjoyment in life. And I believe Solomon would say that same thing, that he would have found pleasure in something, and that led to the this I am the greatest that ever was in Jerusalem that he says now is meaningless. And the second side of the pleasure thing is this. We use pleasure to cope with things. We use pleasure to cope, right? We use pleasure to to medicate, to manage our life, right? We handle the chaos uh, we we have going on in our life with medicating ourselves with pleasure, by coping with the outside, uh, the outside stressors with the pleasure that, I mean, how, how else would you get to 700 wives, right? I would think at three or four, <laughs> he would have had his handful, but he's obviously hiding something having to amass 700 wives, okay? So, uh, and, and, and then like a personal like live jukebox, like he hired singers, like what type of environment are you living in if you have to have like your own life theme music going all the time? Like I'm walking to my own theme music because I got my, my hired help over here constantly singing uh, in my life. But for us, I think oftentimes with whatever we're dealing with, we look to different things that are pleasurable for us, that help us cope with, help us medicate, help us... Uh, get through some of these toughest times, whether it's, I mean, for me, vegging out in front of the TV, right? Just sitting there mindlessly, like football season's the worst. That's where, if football, I can block out everything in my life. I could have, I could be in the worst stage of my life and if I flip on a football game, like, everything's gone and I can just walk. For some people, it's behind a computer screen. For some people, it's an addiction. It's a bottle. It's, for some people, it's medica- I mean, But it's, it's, it's what brings you that coping mechanism and that pleasure or that idea of being able to get through whatever it is that you're facing in your life. And we look to those things of which Solomon would say are meaningless. So this last week, um, it was suggested to my wife to watch a movie and I feel like I can suggest this movie. Uh, unlike a lot of things, I admit to watching on television. Um, I feel like I. So the, the movie is the song. All right. So a couple people told her about it, and then she said she watched it, pre-watched it, see whether or not she could like pitch it to me to watch. And because it's got like that that uh, chick flick kind of flair to it, and then it's but it's got a lot of other stuff in there too. And it's 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 a movie based on the it says based on the Song of Solomon which would lead you to believe it's it's uh, it's based on the Song of Songs, which there is some great tie-in there. If you read the Song of Songs, he's kind of wrestling between two women. But he quotes, in the movie, he quotes much of the book of Ecclesiastes. So maybe you're not into the pro guide. If you watch the movie, the song, it's like you've read the book of Ecclesiastes. You've heard most of it uh, audibly because he's actually not saying Ecclesiastes 4-7, but he's like... Living out and saying those words. And here's what got me this week. I mean, this was, it was crazy. Because I don't, I can't remember the last time a movie caused me to do this. It's a movie about a guy who's a singer. His dad was like a famous singer. And I'm not going to blow it for you because it's actually a pretty good movie. And you, you guys can watch it. But uh, So he doesn't want to be his dad. So he wants to be a wholesome rock star. And so, and he, and he struggles with that. And then he ends up making some horrible choices in his life. And it was about that time, a little over halfway through, that I was so in deep in the book of Ecclesiastes and so wanting Solomon to just wreck my life for what is meaningful rather than the meaningless of life. And so at about, I think it was like 47 minutes into the movie, I like had a fit. I was like, I'm done. I'm tur- this guy's making horrible choices in his life. I'm turning it off. I literally, Heather and I are sitting there watching the movie and I had to turn it off and walk away from the movie. Because this character in this movie had caused me to be like, oh, what an idiot, right? And then, and then what often happens is my convictions flood me and I'm like, oh, oh." like I got this, the greatest picture of, of the wrestle that Solomon is dealing with. And this movie irked me to the point of having to turn it off because I didn't want to watch this guy throw away his life. It's amazing life. And, and so I encourage you to watch it, try to finish it. I actually went back and finished it. Uh, I got myself to that point. But, uh, but in Ecclesi- listen to these words in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 10, where I had left off. Solomon says, I, died, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward of all my toil. And, and what Solomon is saying there, he's like, man, I, if I wanted it, I got it. Like, I had it. If I wanted the women, I got the women. If I wanted the riches, I had the riches. If I wanted to build this massive garden and, and reservoir, reservoir and flowing uh, water with plants and trees in the middle of this desert that I live in, I'm going to make it happen. And he made it happen. And he went after those things. And he's saying that, that it's that attitude that caused him to realize the meaningless of the chase of those things. I denied, my, uh, I, I, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor. And uh, this was the reward of my toil. My hard work, the pleasure I sought was, was my reward for how, how much I had worked for what I have. Yet when I surveyed it all, all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing of the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Now, if we jump back to uh, verse three, after much thought, I denied, or I decided to cheer myself with wine, and while still seeking wisdom, I clutched foolishness in this way. I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world, and so Solomon is saying there. He's saying, "Man, I wanted." Wisdom. I wanted, and well, actually later on today, and actually in chapter six or seven, I think uh, Solomon even addresses the idea of chasing wisdom as being a fall, as being you know he has this balance of folly and meaningful and meaningless. But um, what he's saying is here, man. I, I, um, I wanted wisdom, but I continued to clutch. I continued to hold on to. All those things that were meaningless in my life. I wouldn't let them go. I desired wisdom, but I wouldn't let those things go. And that got to me in in the way that he balances wisdom and folly in his life. And so the wise statement that we look at, which we'll get into here in the verse, is that wisdom even leads to death. So wisdom... There's wisdom and foolishness is what kind of we're wrestling with in here in chapter 6 you'll learn more about that but uh, he tried wisdom as well and listen to what he says in verse 12 and through 16 Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly what more can a king's successor do than what has already been done what has already been done I saw that wisdom was better than folly, just as light is better than the darkness. The 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 wise have eyes in their heads, while the fools walk in darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I said to myself, "The fate of the fool will overtake me also." What then do I do? What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, "This too is meaningless. For the wise, like the fool." will not be long remembered. The days have already come where both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. And Solomon said, the wisest man at that time says, even the wisdom and the knowledge that I chase leads to meaningless. It actually leads to the same outcome in life as the fool. And I'm like, man. Because he's talked about his toil and all this hard work, and even gaining all this wisdom in his life by reading and writing and all those things, he says in here is also too meaningless. Verse the start of verse twenty-four and twenty-six says, "So I decided." Oh wait, no, I'm back up. I'm back up here. uh, Verse fifteen. Uh, In the start of this, it says, what then can a king's successor do that's already been done? Verse 15, it says, "Uh, then I said to myself, the fate of a fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. And so what Solomon talks of this pursuit of pleasure and then wisdom, and then he does what any man, what any good man does in that moment, he says, all right, I'll just work really hard to gain all that I want to gain. If both pleasure and wisdom don't work out for me, I'm just going to work really hard to gain what I need in my life. And we can't have uh, we can't this mentality. We can't have if we can't have what we want. If we can't uh, if we don't know any better, we'll work for it. We'll work to achieve what we want in our lives. Verse 17. So I hated life, and because of the work that is done under the sun was was grievous to me. All. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Verse 18, I hated all things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me and who, knows whether the, uh, and who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all of the fruit of the toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So there's a theme there. The fate of a fool will overtake me soon. When, when I, uh, that too is meaningless, So the theme is, uh, and then will, will, who, the successor of a king, he says in there, uh, what will they know? They will only know what I've known, right? Who will take over, whoever takes over what I have worked for, what I have done. I don't even know if they're going to be wise or if they're going to be foolish with it. I considered the king's successor and and what he would do. There's this theme in here. And what Solomon realizes is that uh, what was in store for his successor, what was in store for the person that would follow him was only what he had been teaching him, right? And if you don't know, you can go back in 1 Kings, and we're not going to really get into it, but Rehoboam was... Uh, king Solomon's son who would take over uh, for him as the king and, uh, and he too would follow that same line and there would be wreckage and ruin from what he did as well. And what Solomon is saying here and here, he's saying, man, everything that I've done, that is what I'm passing on. That is what my successor will know and that too, if I take a look at it, is meaningless. Out of all that he had accomplished, he realized what he was passing on. So the meaningful statement for us is that all we accomplish is hevel. Hevel is the word for meaningless in this chapter or vanity or whatever your, uh, your Bible translation says. And the definition of that and, uh, is the word vapor, is the word, uh, you know, mist, something that is here and gone so quickly. In verse uh, 21 through 23 it says, some people work wisely with knowledge and skill then must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. This too is meaningless, a great tragedy. So what do people get in this life for all of their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night their minds cannot rest. All is meaningless. And then verse 24, so I decided. So after figuring all that out, after figuring, even for us, I think oftentimes we can, uh, we can place what we accomplish in our life as our, as our meaning. Like the things that we accomplish, the, the status and title that we have, like, that is where we find purpose. If you've been around very long, you know that I struggled with that often in my early early in my walk when I was a youth pastor. And when I left the church, I still was like, well, I used to be a youth pastor. Like, when I went back to Costco, I was working at, well, what do you do? Well, I work at Costco, but I used to be a youth pastor. Like, I really held tight to that title, and I wanted the purpose and meaning of what I had accomplished in my past so that people knew of my value. I think oftentimes for us, all that we accomplish in life, we still want to find the meaning in that. And what he's saying is, all that you accomplish, that is what you are passing down, which then too is meaningless. So I decided there was nothing better than to enjoy food and drink, and to find satisfaction in work. That's what he's saying there. The value in accomplishment, accomplishing, and we wrap ourselves up in that accomplishment. And then there's a switch that flips at the very end of chapter 2. And I think this is kind of the end of the summary. And, you know, kind of this stop for this time is actually pleasure uh, more than anything else. But there's a switch that flips, and he focuses then on God. And he says this. Then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. This is talking about the eating and drinking and finding satisfaction in work. Then I realized these pleasures are from the hand of God. For who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please him. But if a sinner becomes wealthy, God takes the wealth away and gives it to those who please him. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So we have a small group on Monday night, and Ryan asked me, Hey, you are going to share any of our discussions? You know, make sure that, you know, you don't, you know, blow my cover. No, he didn't say that. Um, But, uh, but, and this is, this is the one thing I think that I walked away from our discussion on Monday night, last Monday night, as we looked at chapter two, is that it said, God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to those who please him. Like, that's great. Like, I can work really hard at pleasing God and do all of the things and then think that, oh, that pleased God. And so he's going to give me wisdom, knowledge, and joy. Okay. But then... Uh, but if a sinner becomes wealthy, I think that that's more an understanding translation. God takes the wealth away and gives it to those who please him. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And so we, we got to discussing this idea that God actually takes all the stuff from people who don't please him and then gives it to everybody else. And what, what, I, what, what I got to thinking about this was this idea that God would take from some and give to others. And then I, then I wrestled with the idea, well, what can I accomplish? What can I go after? What can, how hard can I work to get the things that God's giving? Right? Because that's, that's how my mind works. Maybe your mind works that way too. But I thought about it. I actually think that of all of the things Solomon's kind of you know, throwing out here this list of things that aren't that all that bad and all the things that he's chasing and even the great stuff about life. Like, I actually feel the mindset I need to know is that God actually takes all of that away, right? You've heard the analogy of, you know, there's not a U-Haul behind a hearse, right? Like, at the end of your life, you can't take any of it with you. None of us can. None of what we accomplish or what we go after or what we chase here under the sun so we looked at last week, none of that can go with us. And so I started thinking about it as this idea is that God takes all of that that we accomplish here on earth, and he takes it up for himself. And then to those that please him, to those that, uh, that follow after him, to those that trust in him, to those that, uh, he, that look to him for the meaning of life, he then takes all of that up, and he gives ultimately the riches of what is heaven the heavenly riches of, man, I get goosebumps even thinking about that, right? Like the idea that God is going to give us the riches of everything we could ever desire and want and need and, and everything that we chase after over here it has so much more meaning over here. And, and it just got me to that mindset of, of how meaningless the things under the sun are here and how valuable true meaning is over here. And the focus that we have on, on God. And that's what Solomon's saying to us. He's saying, man, I chased, I chased so hard after this stuff. I amassed so much. I accomplished. I got the house and I got the kids and, and you know, the fun stuff we did. And, but when it comes down to it, what God has taught me is that this is, has way more meaning. And way more purpose. Yeah, this stuff is great. Actually, I would argue that this stuff even gains more meaning if we're focused over here on true meaning. It's all a gift, right? God gives, God gives a gift of wisdom and knowledge and joy to his people. So I want you to think about your life And the meaning. And if you know my story, like I don't come out of a story of wreckage and ruin. I come out, I I, I accepted Christ at 18 and I came out of a life that was meaningless, that I was just wandering through life. I had no purpose really. And so this really hit home for me because it's the meaning that, that God gave me at 18 that put me here, that put me through all the stages where God equipped me to do what I need to do in my life. I still learned tons of lessons. But what if, what if meaning from God is a gift, not a chase? What if, what if all the toil and work and chasing and running and acquiring and, and, and everything that we, that we go after so hard in life, what if, what if it's not a chase? What if it's a gift? And we can just receive it. We can just take it in. Be like, man. Thank you. Thank you, God, for that gift of purpose in my job. Thank you for that gift of purpose in how I handle my finances. Thank you for that gift and purpose of how I raise my children. This gives me so much meaning in all those areas because you've created me for that meaning and that purpose in my life. What if it's not a gift? What if it's a chase? Will you pray with me?